Okay, uh, podcast number two for the day, January 25th, 2019, and uh, we're going to bang out this book here. I'm going to do probably uh, one podcast for each chapter. We've got four chapters left, three, for Brand It Ain't the Logo by Ted Matthews. What an amazing book, and wow, I'm so glad I found this book and invested the time. So this one is Mind the Equity. I just want to say I just did a chapter on uh, uh, Inspire the Team and I'm feeling pretty, uh, you know, coming full circle here kind of thing because I knew as soon as I get my server up, I'm hoping I'll have it up this weekend. Um, Then we're good to go, man. Revenue producing activities from there. Uh, Yeah, so Mind the Equity. Many of the strongest brands hold out their heritage with pride, but due to panic, neglect, or the passage of time, too many brands deny their full potential by ignoring their history. The the psychological importance of heritage may derive from a link to immortality. Jack Trout from Differentiate or Die. And I've got a bit of like a surge of momentum here for me personally, uh, because I just read um, I just finished a book called How the Scots Invented Canada, and I basically learned so much about my history and my country. Because <clears throat> I realized from all the history I've studied, I still don't even know my own country. I haven't explored my whole country. and I've been all over the world now, 37 years old, and I haven't been around my whole country yet. So that doesn't make sense. So we've got to fix that. Honda's outboard motors for powerboats have been leaders in environmentally friendly technology since 1960. Well, it's a tongue twister. By the 1980s, their motors met California's 2006 emission standards, notably some of the most stringent in the world. But you wouldn't have known it because Honda didn't tell anyone about it. It just... It's just one startling example of many brands that have passed on the golden opportunity to powerfully own a difference on the basis of heritage. Like the Exxon Valdez, just bigger. We had Honda as a client in 1990s and demonstrated that competitors' engines were dumping the equivalent of... Imagine two Exxon Valdez's into the freshwater lakes of North America every year. Oh, I grew up on the largest freshwater lake on earth. Competitors outboard mixed oil into the gas with the result that the oil was blown through the motor and right into the water. Oh my gosh. That was the standard technology at the time. Just terrible. Honda and no one else was using a car engine in its outboards. Car engines lubricate oil, lubricate without emitting oil. It's retained within the engine, not shot into the lake. But we couldn't convince Honda to tell the story of their environmentally friendly heritage because they found it hard to look at themselves as anything but an engineering company. Too many ones and zeros, and this is what I talk about pi being 
People too narrow focused. 3.14. Why are you trying to perfect pi? Focus on 97%. Big brain, little brain. Big brain, little brain. They liked their promotional materials full of charts and diagrams, not fluffy messages about preserving their environment. The rest, as they say, is history. Little did Honda know that environmental preservation would finally emerge as a passionate consumer concerned by the first years of the new millennium. But by then, Honda's disadvantage was gone. Or Honda's advantage was gone. The entire outboard world had adopted engines conforming to the high standards initiated by Honda 40 years before. Wow. Adidas. Adidas didn't surpass its heritage like Honda did, but rather dumped it in a panic about Nike's meteoric, meteoric success in the 1980s. Adidas had been wildly popular in the 1960s and early 70s. It was the sports shoe and sportswear brand and probably had market coverage just as broad as Nike eventually captured. Adidas has a terrifically rich country behind its products. It was founded by Adi Dassler, a German shoemaker in 1920s. Dassler's vision was to create high performance shoes for soccer and track and field. His shoes were first worn in the 1928 Olympics, but his big break came with Germany's victory over Hungary in 1954 Soccer World Cup. Germany's players were wearing Adidas soccer boots that, for the first time, had removable spikes. But as Nike rapidly grew in the 70s, Adidas got scared. Nike had more of a fashion orientation. Adidas felt threatened by Nike's fashion-savvy approach and introduced new styles in their mid-70s that incredibly did not feature Adidas's iconic three stripes. Instead of sticking with its strength in soccer and track, Adidas tried and ultimately failed to compete with Nike in the arena of basketball shoes, where Nike managed to establish a dominant position they still enjoy today. The Adidas mistake. Adidas made the mistake that many brands make under pressure to meet new challenges presented by the market. They lose sight of who they are. Mistake. Lose sight of who you are. I know who I is. And therefore, how they can adjust their brand strategy without throwing it completely out the window. Under pressure, Adidas jumped to the radical step of brand revolution. When they should have what they should have done was take a simple evolutionary approach that wouldn't have sacrificed their hard-earned brand equity. They should have worked twice as hard in areas of dominance they already had. So, work twice as hard in areas of dominance they already have. They should have shouted their soccer and track messages twice as loudly from their rooftops instead of getting dragged off in a direction where they could not control the agenda. The three stripes, I was privileged to work on the Adidas account in the 1990s. New ownership there was in place that had the wisdom to take a fresh look into the, new, into the company's heritage and rediscover the brand's original focus on making a really, really good shoe targeted mainly at soccer and track and field. 
We brought back the three stripes identity that Adi Dassler had introduced in 1949 but had so foolishly been discarded by his successors. We used the three stripes consistently across all internal and external communications. We even reflected it in the architecture of the new headquarters, which included a track running around the center of the building. The concerted approach led to a reveal of fortunes, making Adidas the fastest growing athletic brand of, of the time. Ford. I've always been dumbfounded that Ford doesn't do a better job of mining its brand equity to establish a position that resonates powerfully with consumers. I mean, when you tell the story of the automobile, you start with Ford. They, have, they invented the category. The name of the guy running the company is right on the car. They used to have 100% market share. Who else has a story like that? Yes, it's true that Ford has started to rekindle America's love affair with the car. Some of this has been achieved by looking to the past, for example, by introducing a retro styling for their legendary Mustang. Fantastic. They invented the category. The name of the guy running the company is right on the car. Who else has a story like that? The idea is so connected with consumers that the other American automakers piled on. Chrysler copied Ford and bought out a retro-style Dodge Charger, which is a badass car. GM's Chevrolet followed suit with the Redoux Camaro, which is also cool. But wait, rumor has it Ford is going to change the Mustang again to an all-new non-retro design. What a horrible mistake. Message to CBO Molly. History works. At your fingertips are a bunch of great brand positions to choose from. Being first, invention, innovation, or pioneering among them. Buck a beer. Earlier I told the story of how premium beer maker Sleeman forgot its rich heritage, trotted out the deck party ads, and eventually slashed its prices to a buck a beer. Just as Adidas was under pressure from Nike, Sleeman was being squeezed by a host of new entrants selling El Cheapo beer at a dollar at a dollar a bottle. This was a deep discount from what Sleeman, a bona fide premium quality brew, was charging. In the area of $40, not $24 for a case of $24. What did dropping from $40 to $24 do to the Sleeman margins? Margins? Ask Sapporo, the Japanese company that had bought them. Oof. Sleeman had a great brand heritage to talk about, one that parlayed into a premium tasting beer and ample justification to keep their prices where they were, where they were. Faced with a buck of beer, their best strategy would have been to hold their prices firm. Heck, raising their prices a tad and tell people why their product was well worth it. Stella and the strong brands. It's not like all of the other premium beers drop their prices. Heineken, Stella, Artois, and other strong brands held firm, but Sleeman, unlike these players, had lost its focus over the several preceding years and forgotten the brand story they needed to withstand the cheap upstarts. John Sleeman was told by his new friends that the heritage angle wouldn't work with the young drinkers who were defecting to the cheapy beers. Nonsense. The stories about great-great-grandpa Sleeman worked on young people in the 1980s. 
and would work again. People of any age love to feel a connection with their history and demonstrate their sophistication by buying into it. Perhaps it's no surprise that Sapporo and John Sleeman had have revived the beer's original heritage position. After all, Sapporo knows a thing or two about heritage themselves. They are Japan's oldest beer, founded in 1876. Oh, cool, I didn't know that. I like Sapporo. It's actually good beer. Sadly, Sleeman is just one of a host of iconic Canadian brands to falter and be purchased by foreign concerns since the 1980s. Labatt, Eaton, Hudson Bay, and Molson, all multi-billion dollar companies among the very oldest in North America that played a key role in this continent's economic, political, and so social history. And in turn, each of them forgot their heritage and got bought out. Tell marketing it's over. John Molson founded his company in 1786. It was a quintessential Canadian organization. The flagship beer was called Canadian and sometimes wore it proudly to great effect. Take their innovation of Joe Canadian character in the 1990s, I am Canadian rant. I don't even, I should look at that. Joe Canadian character. Who's that guy? It's a campaign with rock solid position. Patriotism. Okay, cool. Cool. I used to be, um, you know, pride can hold you back and all that. And well, patriotism is good. A sense, and people do want a sense of identity. I want to pause for a second and just say, um, and sense of identity kind of annoys me. For me personally, but, uh, one of the things uh, I've learned as police officers, I have quite a few police officer friends, uh, you go home to their house after duty, they have their medals and their uniform and all that, and they, and same with army guys, and they take pride in, in that, and that's their identity, but it's like, that's not your, who you are, that's your job. Take off the uniform, you know what I mean? You stand in front of the mirror naked, look at yourself, what kind of conversations do you have with yourself, that kind of stuff, so... Uh, it's about who you are on the inside that's very important versus what the outside sees. And, uh, yeah. That's thing, one of the things about me being a, a European Muay Thai champion and a professional MMA athlete is that's how people perceive me. And then they also perceive me as, a, as an accountant. And i got to be very careful with, you know, meeting new people and what I say. And so that's why I just tell them polymath. Anyways... That's still talked about, still a part of popular culture years after Molson killed it off. Now they're owned by Coors. Oh wow, I gotta go check this out. You know what, why don't I just do it right now? Cool, new development. I'm really enjoying this, uh, this broadcasting that I'm doing. Computer. There we go. Okay. Oh my. Uh, I plugged my keyboard. Cool. I love touch screen on monitors. Okay, we'll do Joe Canadian. Let's see this. Joe. 
Canadian. We'll just if if they're not using it, I'll just rip it off and use it. Joe Canadian, I'm Canadian rant. I there we go. Boom. It's the only views it's got. Ha! The best commercial ever. Three hundred ninety-three thousand views. I'm Canadian. Three point five million views. The Molson commercial. I'm Canadian. Okay, so here's an interesting um, number. Why does the video that ranks number one four years ago, it only has 393,000 views, but the one that has ranked second and it was posted 12 years ago has 3.5 million views. It's probably because of the description um, in, in the footage. Like I suck on YouTube. I have like 200 videos and like, you know, nobody barely watches them. Um, which is fine, but it's because my descriptions suck. So let's just check this out here. Okay. Okay. Whoa, 6,400 comments. Damn, that's good. Okay, so it's simply the Molson Canadian commercial. I'm Canadian, so there's no description really. So now let's look at the other one here. So the one that I just looked at, that's the one that has 3.5 million views. Uh, the one I'm going to look at now that ranks first only has 393 views. It was posted four years ago versus 12 years ago. But I bet you it's got a better description. Let's see. Well, game web developer loves you. Well, it's pretty short too. It says uh, one of the best Molson Canadian beer commercials from March 2000, probably the Canadian. And then he's got a link, Cana uh, link canadianwebdeveloper.ca. So this guy included a link, let's see, that goes to his website, which is very nice. Very, very nice. A lot of stuff on here. Two hundred bucks, five hundred bucks, eight hundred bucks. Cool. This is a beautiful website, I gotta say. Good job, man. Good job. Okay, so let's go watch this commercial here. I'll turn it up for you guys too. It's only a minute long. So, oh, and we're on the section of mine the equity. So I'm Canadian, right? <laughs> Pretty unique Canadian, to be honest. Um, Cool, cool. I could run with this whole Canadian thing. Wow. Because you can get cheap advertising space to rank well. Diversity, not assimilation, and that the beaver is a truly proud and 
Let's see, what was it? It was only a minute long, too. You have the, uh, it's an orchestra band, the horn section. So we just add some bagpipes, a horn section, and me playing guitar. And then you do have some, make a speech. But you have to correlate, there's a lot of these. Interesting. Okay. It's still talked about years after Molson killed it off. Man, well, I'd like to contact Molson to, like, give me a bag of money and uh, we'll make it happen, Captain. <laughs> That's cool. I really like that. I enjoyed that. So basically, if you could make a one-minute video, that's all you need for your brand. <laughs> uh, that's cool. That's cool. I can see my brother and his buddies coming up with something. Okay. There were three steps to Molson's brand demise. Declining sales resulted from... Lack of consistent brand message brought on by a revolving door in the marketing department. Oh, yes, 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 yes. All stemming from the dire, dire need of a CBO. Oh, shit, son. Oh, snap. This is a eureka moment. Um, so I'll say for anyone that if you're an entrepreneur and you get the last six years as an entrepreneur, you get that far in the journey, which I don't find a lot of people talk about, you're going to go through this phase where you're going to get like exponential gains that my strategic, one of my strategic advisors, uh, says, and it's going to be, uh, you're going to get these Eureka moments. The scientists, you see the cartoons, Eureka, Eureka. But after a while, you just realize, oh, with experience, teaches you, oh, well, I just you know, got smarter. I just learned something new that day. And uh, today, and I also call it, uh, sometimes I refer to it as the Joker appears on, on uh, the game theory board. So that comes back to my penguin logic where you can break all information down to three variables, a one, zero, or a question mark. Question mark being the joker or any uncertainties or something you don't know. And with uh, system two, creative, strategic, human consciousness, you can eliminate the joker and make a decision. And that 
result is going to give you a, a one or a zero. And for me, um, I'm playing defense all the way to the top in my career. I always have. The best uh, offense is a strong defense. And so now we just filter out anything that brings me a zero. And I operate based on emotion. That's one thing I've learned through my story because I've always made emotional decisions versus logical decisions, but you just balance the two, right? Um, but what this tells me here is Molson in the dire need of a CBO. Yeah. I would just like to work at Molson just for kicks, just to do silly brands. So I don't even know how to call them. Like, how do I set up a meeting with Molson? Right? That's funny. I could make up some good content for them. That is for certain. Holy man. Wow. Okay. Brands are built with consistency. So I'm just realizing um, with my own brands that I have, uh, you know, I'll do the, I'm going to get all my, uh, my, my sales funnels up with all the autoresponders and uh, I want to do them all myself, all 240. And then from there, uh, I can basically do it for whatever, 120 customers and charge them a monthly retainer and that will complete the circle 360 degrees. But it's clear I can be more effective working at an already existing uh, company such as like, you know, Molson and stuff like that. But I, I do want to say here, um, I keep hearing this throughout a lot of literature and just powerful people. The It's hard to find talented people. And I'm like, I, I don't, I just don't see it that way. But I'm starting to see why. The recruitment process sucks. It is terrible. Absolutely terrible. And recruiters, I find recruiters are an actual waste of time. I've seen 17 recruiters in Vancouver when I first moved. I got like maybe two interviews. Just useless. I, useless, useless. But it's just kind of a game. You got to learn the game. Anywho, put in your time. Yet for years, Molson has used the marketing department as a training ground for more important management roles. Huh. Man. And every guy who's ever come, come through this department has tried to make his unique mark to launch his important career. Well, that's where I'm a bit of anomaly. I don't really care about that. I've already got an important career. I've got a sense of purpose. I need to lose a million pounds off people. And lead by example. And watch. I won't even sell anything, but people will pay me. Inside the Molson Marketing Department, it goes like this. Question the old, maybe only 80 months old, campaign idea and call the creatives at the agency. Average business experience 3.5 years to do something new or just hire a new agency and go from there. I'm gonna read that again. Inside the Molson marketing department, it goes like this. Question the old, maybe the only 
eight months old campaign idea and call the creatives at the agency. Average business experience 3.5 years to do something new or just hire a new agency and go from there. Does anybody know what Molson brings to brewing after 225 years? I don't think so. Every time someone abandoned an idea, they did the stakeholders a costly disservice by giving up brand equity. The real value in companies today. Exactly. Brand equity. <laughs> Pop quiz. What's the oldest company in North America? If you said the Hudson's Bay Company, you're right. Bingo. Another company I want to work at. I've got their executive board printed out, actually. Crazy. So that's a good correlation. The ultimate pioneers. Oh, yeah. Deadly. The oldest company in North America. The ultimate pioneers. Bingo. They opened a new entire continent for business over 300 years ago. Founded in 1670. By the 20th century, they were only intermittently honoring their storied past. So they are no longer quintessential Canadian company, but an American one owned by Lord and Taylor department store chain. Why wasn't the company consistent in using its rich history to build a killer Canadian brand? No doubt. No doubt. And so for me, uh, I'm a Métis and Neanderthal. I'm 88% more Neanderthal than other humans on earth. And so I'm like the pioneer survivor kind of guy that's in my, uh, my genealogy or what, however you want to term that and I recently finished how the Scots invented Canada and wow what an amazing book so I realized you know the role that my ancestors played in that for me to survive and bring me here and uh, thousands of miles and canoes and hardships pretty insane time I must say and so uh, yeah using its rich history to build a killer Canadian brand there's a lot of money here, man. Generations of marketers at HSBC were tired of hearing about the company's histories all day long. In the hallways, that's because that's because Canadian history is freaking boring, man. The way it's portrayed, anyways. It's all this black and white photo and just the fur trade, and like people don't under, like young people don't understand the importance of the fur trade. Wow, you're killing animals to keep people warm. Like, who wants to kill a beaver? You know what I mean? Who wants to shoot wolves? Uh, humans almost eradicated wolves. They had to stop saying, hey, we need to stop killing the wolves because there's going to be no more wolves. So, yeah, insert Jesse. In the hallways, they would walk by pictures of past chairmen called governors. The authority, I don't think people want the authority figure. In company parlance and shudder to hear about the old days or the company's crucial role in opening of North America. Okay, well, that needs to be changed. Can you slap some people around here? You need to understand the importance of North America and why we live in a time of peace and not war. But the Americans have got have given HBC the parent of the Bay Department store along with home outfitters and fields. It's Canadian mojo back. 
and they're using HSBC history, hundreds of years of merchandising on a continent where it was tough for humans to survive exactly. Forget about build a business to convey their right to be a great retailer. They have resurrected the original coat of arms identity and are featured featuring the iconic green, red, yellow, and blue stripes made famous by the Hudson Bay's point blanket. Yeah, that's a beautiful blanket, man. Uh, exactly how embedded in North American history are those stripes? I'm fascinated to note that they're present in the early history of Arizona, the state of my winter retreat in paintings and other cultural media. CBO Bonnie at HSBC flagship Bay Brand an aggressive repositioning is taking place. At department stores formerly known for scratch and save discounts, a new CEO, Bonnie Brooks, is ending the practice of apologetic pricing. She dropped more than 200 so-so brands and replaced them with much smaller array of labels that people really want. She featured them in their new sections store within a store style to give them prominence and by extension class up the bay overall. By featuring the stripes on an array of stylish items, some historic scarves and the legendary point blanket, some new snowboards and doggy clothing, an old brand has been made cool and sometimes quite pricey. Again, epitomized by the room, the ultra upscale floor with jaw dropping rich prices on high fashion clothing. Embracing the role of CBO, Bonnie is touching every aspect of the brand experience, even doing radio shows in her own voice. Bingo, I correlate that to what I'm doing right now. Let's see here. Embracing the role of CBO, and I guess I'm doing that too because this book, I didn't know what a CBO was before I read this book either, by the way, guys. The messaging is directed at consumer at customers, sure, but it's equally targeted at her staff and key suppliers. Bonnie clearly understands the importance of getting stakeholder to understand a new direction based on old history. Jack Trout. Jack Trout is the genius behind the branding Bible, positioning the battle for your mind. Cool. Sounds like a good book, but... Less books for Jesse, more revenue-producing action. In another of his fine books, Differentiate or Die, Survival in Our Era of Killer Competition, Trout tells readers that heritage goes deep in the soul of North Americans. No doubt that's true. That is very true. The psychological importance of heritage may derive from the power of being a participant in a continuous line that connects one with the right to be alive to a history that one carries forward from the living past, a link to immortality. In the base category, retail, there is one company that truly understands this power. It is none other than the behemoth of Bonteville, Arkansas. Mighty Walmart, everyone from sales clerks to top executives is immersed in the legend of Sam Walton who began with a five and dime 
discount store and created the world's largest retailer by delivering low prices and as a result, better lives for the customer. It's all, all this stuff comes back to your customer, your true customer, your true customer, find your true customer. What pain triggers are they experiencing? What is their problem? What is their current problem? Everybody has problems. You need to be the solution to the problem. People don't want to buy the hammer and the nail. They want to buy the hole on the wall. The best part. The great thing about an organization's heritage is that it's theirs alone. Not two entities have the same past. A brand's history is thus unique and ownable. Two preconditions for any strong brand position. Heritage represents a built-in meaningful brand just waiting to be leveraged. Oh wow, and my company Talent Media has heritage, man. It's got a pretty cool story if I must say. And in this day and age, getting and holding onto something meaningful is very, very tough. Bingo, bingo. Okay, so that concludes. I'm glad I did this. Mine the equity. Wow. Protect. Okay, so yeah, I'm gonna hang up and we'll do the uh, the next chapter.